views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It is so great. I'm Dr. Pat. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Dr. Pat Show. Thank you all for tuning us in on Transformation Talk Radio and all of our syndicators all over the world. You know, we have some very, very special partnerships we're forming with the show, and we really, really love what's getting ready to happen here in a couple of months. So thank you for being so patient with us. Um, Today is a very special show for me, uh, as well as for many of you. I am so thrilled that we get to talk with Elizabeth Kohler-Pendikoff today about the missing Kennedy, Rosemary Kennedy, and the secret bonds of four women. You know, why is this such a relevant and important conversation to be having now? Well, we're going to be talking with Elizabeth about that. But, you know, she is someone, author of uh, at least nine books, including a Writer's Digest selection for the ABCs of Writing for Children, and The Missing Kennedy, this book, which is her first memoir. Um, but whether or not you've read her other works or have following or are following her or, along with her passion and her purpose, today's conversation strikes right at the heart of what so many, so many people are suffering with in our world and in our lifetime today. And you would think that we have learned much in 80 years, 100 years even, you know, that we have learned much about what happens in the world uh, that we live in when we're different, whether we're either physically challenged, whether we're mentally challenged, whether emotionally challenged, or we're just simply different. And one of the things that I hope we're learning in our lifetime is that different does not mean less than. I will tell you now that, you know, as I read this book, um, uh, and beautifully written book, the, the pictures are just, uh, just striking. You know, the thought, the care, um, the dedication, uh, the, the, cho- the, the choice of words and stories that Elizabeth has used throughout this book to talk about something that is so painful to hear about and so relevant in today's world it's just striking for me. You know, so sometimes we have to be painstaking to really capture the depth and the breadth of something so painful to even talk about, let alone think about, and then acknowledge in our world. 
And so, Elizabeth, I want to welcome you to the show, and I want to thank you so much for this being your first memoir and for taking the journey down the road in the pathway with Rosemary Kennedy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for appreciating what I've been trying to do. Um, I mentioned to you before we started that uh, this... (laughs) You know, this really hit me right in the heart. I mean, this was very, very close to me. And what I realize now as I'm speaking with you, it is very, very close to so many people. And let's start with the conversation uh, of telling folks a bit about what this journey is and was for you. Many people would say, here you are, Elizabeth, and, you know, wanting to know, wait a minute, it's a memoir, but what is it? What is your connection? What guided you, what led you to be connected to Rosemary Kennedy? I would love to start to that because I'm, I'm one of these people, I don't think there are any mistakes in the universe per, per se. I agree with you. I think that everything happens for a reason. And uh, I was very fortunate in having an extremely loving aunt. She was my father's elder sister. She was one of 10 children and they all grew up in a very small rural farming community in southeastern Wisconsin, and they were very poor, um, but they were able to get by because they raised the food that they ate from their little farm. And as my aunt, her name was Stella, grew, she realized she had a calling, and she described the calling to me as something overwhelming that as soon as she found it and she realized she wanted to become a a nun, a sister of St. Francis of Assisi, Mm -hmm. she said it just felt spiritual and so right that she knew she had to do this. And so she became a nun in 1939 and she had many experiences. She, She went where the sisters told her to go. You know, they follow their mother superior wherever the order is. And the latest, the last place that she went um, in her life was in 1960. uh, She was assigned to St. Coletta, which is a home and a school for the mentally challenged in Jefferson, Wisconsin. And we were fortunate that she was assigned close to us, only 20 minutes away where I lived in Oconomowoc, so that we were able to visit Sister Paulus and her charge, Rosemary, every month. And we developed a a strong relationship, not of, of course, not only with my aunt, but with Rosie. And Rosie and Sister Paulus were not merely caregiver and patient, but they were like sisters. You know, you said something that is so interesting to me and so appropriate for today's show. You know, things happen for a reason in so many ways, and they connect the dots. But part of this was you taking action in a certain way. Um, let's talk about Rosemary Kennedy, who she, who she showed up to be. Because I really do think that people are put in our lives for lessons for us that go beyond anything we can even imagine. And I would love for you to talk about her and talk a little bit about what the journey of life's lessons were for you. 
When I first met Rosie, of course, I was only four. It was 1962 at the time. Rosie would have been 43. So, of course, I was interested in going there because it felt loving and fun. And I had attention from both the nuns and my aunt, Sister Paulus, and Rosie. And Rosie had a childlike innocence to her at that point. When she first uh, was born back in 1918, she was born at home, as many people were, and um, her mother, Rose, and her father, Joe, lived in a suburb of Boston called Brookline. And in this um, very Victorian uh, home, she, Rosie was born, but unfortunately, she had a set of circumstances. And I believe, you know, like you said, everything happens for a reason. Unfortunately, the doctor was late. And the nurse who was there at the time, um, administering to Mrs. Kennedy in her bed, felt that really the doctor needed to be there and that she was perhaps incapable of delivering this baby alone. So she told Mrs. Kennedy to squeeze her legs shut. And not only did she squeeze her legs shut, but the nurse literally put her hand on the baby's head and would not allow it to uh, escape through the birth canal because she felt that this would not be healthy. Well, we don't know, but we everyone assumes that because of this, um, Rosemary did not get enough oxygen. So she was born, um, and shortly after her birth, Mrs. Kennedy and Mr. Kennedy, Rose and Joe, discovered that their, their daughter, Rosie, was developing more slowly than her other children. And as they added to their family, ended up having nine very academic, athletic, and competitive children, they realized that Rosie was different. And as a child would, she realized she was different. She wasn't able to steer her sled um, or go roller skating. She couldn't learn uh, basic reading and writing skills. And so when she was in kindergarten, the teachers recommended holding her back. And after two years of kindergarten, unfortunately, she was still not ready to proceed to first grade. And at that time, they talked to Rose and Joe and said, we're unable to meet your daughter's needs. And Rose and Joe were horrified. Mm -hmm. um, they did have the, the realization at the time she was diagnosed mentally retarded, as we would say mentally challenged today. But experts believe this was probably not the case. She was learning disabled. Right. And yeah, yeah. I, I've seen evidence of her work. She was unable to read and write correctly um, most of her life, but she was able to add three, three digit numbers together quite successfully, which proves that I believe she, her skills were just limited in, in select ways, not in, in entire ways. So as she grew up, she became different. And you know that when you are growing up as a child and a teen, you recognize your difference. Even though the family was very loving and protective of her, it was difficult for her growing up, um, always needing a governess or a, a family member. And uh, so it showed a lot of strain in her 
self so that when she became a teen, um, she began exhibiting some very frightening symptoms of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And um, she had horrible, violent temper tantrums that hurt herself and others. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I love about what you're sharing is how relevant this conversation is today. And when we come back from break, I want to talk with you about, you know, are, are we more aware now? And the reason that this, you know, is so important for our listenership Almost everyone that you speak with, you know, in today's world knows somebody just like you described or somebody's child or, or, or grandchild exactly like you described myself. I grew up with a, 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 I was learning challenged, you know, slow, couldn't catch on. And it wasn't until I went to graduate school that I figured out. Well, I actually didn't figure it out. I studied with a woman from Thailand and we figured out what that what that challenge really was on the one hand i'm like you know i couldn't put a sentence together on the other hand i see words visually so give me a couple of boxes and theories to work on and i'm good to go but that doesn't help you in fifth grade we're going to take a short break we come back we're going to talk with elizabeth about this journey you know why is it this was not talked about you know what are some of the what what stigma a word used almost a century ago but is it still relevant today? What are we bringing forward? Why is this such a powerful memoir for all of us? And why is it now time to get this conversation out of the closet? Thanks to Elizabeth. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be healthy? For each of us, it means something a little different. Discover the art of herbal medicine, a natural way to help our bodies respond better to the modern-day stress and toxicity of our everyday lives. Using organic herbs from around the world, the skilled herbalists at Urban Wellness in Kirkland can help you choose the herbs that are right for your body. Find your herbal solutions for common health issues at urbanwellness.com. That's H-E-R-B-A-N wellness.com. Are you ready for a radical shift in your way of being? Are you seeking a more deeply connected and fulfilling life? Awakened Living Radio is a show dedicated to helping you embrace a life filled with profound peace, connection, and happiness. TJ Woodward is passionate about helping you find your clarity, balance, and purpose. Join co-host TJ Woodward and Dr. Pat Basile on the first Monday of every month at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for Awakened Living Radio on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. My dream is to end homelessness. My passion is living a green life. My dream is to end poverty. My passion is volunteering. My passion is making a difference. My dream is to cure Lyme disease. My passion is rebuilding communities. My passion is helping those in need. My passion is caring for the elderly. My dream is to find a cure for cancer. My dream is to leave a better world for my children. 
We all have that special passion, that lifelong dream that drives us to live our lives with meaning and to create a better world. No matter what drives you, we can all make an impact. Dr. Pat Basili is helping others make their dreams come true so we can all help make our world a better world. To learn more about how Dr. Pat is building a community of sharing hope, strength, funds, knowledge, and information, visit abetterworldcrowdfunding.com today. That's abetterworldcrowdfunding.com. everybody welcome back it's so great to have you all join us here today elizabeth before we before we kind of get back to this you know beautifully written story the missing kennedy um would you take a minute and let folks know how they can get a copy of the book and how they can get information how they can find out more about you thank you they can go to either one of my websites which is missingkennedy.com or lizbooks.com to find out about um, what I've done in my life and how I try to encourage reading and writing of for all ages. Um, and you can get the book um, by visiting the website and clicking one of the links. Uh, you can go to your local bookstore and ask them for it or the traditional routes um, of, of any other book. Oh, it's just it's just uh, such an honor to have you here today. Thank uh, you. One of the questions and one of the things I wanted to talk about was, you know, what what was this that had what was this what was this really about? What was the and this is my language, what was so disgraceful for a family or what was so uh, unpredictable about a family that they just could not talk about it? And where are we today? Are we spending any more time talking about it? And uh, if we are, are we able to find out the reality of situations of people in our family? You know, I know you were sharing during the break, you had your own journey to look. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this. If we could go back to some of these early years and what this must have been like rosemary and for the family about the events that followed exactly you know if we time travel back to the the day of and culture of rosemary's problems if you were either mentally challenged or mentally ill um, or if you suffered from epilepsy uh, if you had some insomnia even acid indigestion any of those things, we would have been considered candidates for a lobotomy. And the reason why the lobotomy was even considered was back in the 1920, turn of the century and forward, even through the, the, the 1950s, you know, doctors advised families if they had a a family member that suffered from any of these things that they should just be put into an institution for their well-being and the families and even not visited. They believed at the time that would create too much of an emotional upheaval in the patient's lives. So if you had a, a mentally challenged 
a child or brother or sister, many, many people hid them in attics or they did put them in institutions. And it was, it was criminal what was done. Uh, in institutions, the people were housed in overcrowded ancient fire traps. There was so little regard for anyone in this situation. You know, back in the day, they thought that the devil uh, did this to people and that perhaps if you were close to these people, the devil would, would make you have it too. Um, they also believed it was contagious. Mm. Uh, so they, there was no money going to any of this situation. And so people in institutions were, if they were able, <clears throat> they were put to work slaving away 12 to 16 hours a day. Those were unable to work. They could be restrained through uh, handcuffs or chains. They were tied with bed sheets, their heads, hands above their heads. Others were in straitjackets. And this we're not talking about a few hours. We're talking weeks at a time. I know if I lived in those conditions, I would, my emotional health would not be good. So a lot of times if patients were unable to calm themselves because they were in such situations, officials used solitary confinement, they beat patients, and often they drugged them, uh, drugged them into like a sleep coma. Some had, um, were subjected to electroshock. My aunt right. uh, suffered through this. They had insulin comas. Uh, these things worked by actually damaging the brain. Sometimes they were put into tubs for hydrotherapy. They were strapped in. The baths were filled with ice cold water or very hot water. And patients could be left for hours and even days at a time. And then of course we had a great influx of mentally ill patients after both world wars um, because soldiers came home with brain injuries and PTSD, which of course no one knew anything about then. So we had deplorable conditions, horrible treatments, and this became a big motivation for doctors to find a permanent answer. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about something that is even consistent in today's world, you know, and, and let's talk about this for a minute because um, we live in a world today where you're absolutely right. You know, um, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you start to act a little bit sideways or start to look a little bit sideways or start not to keep up or start to be a little bit of this or a little bit of that, there is a pill, potion or lotion for it. Um, that is the society we live in. What we're, what we are learning now, and you touched upon it. It is hard to imagine. If you want to go back eighty years and fast forward to where we are today, it's hard to imagine when you apply one of those. You know, the, just the fact to restrain somebody is enough to make their situation uh, accelerate, right? Absolutely. I mean, and so you know, it just gets worse. And today what we're discovering is that the interaction with people and drugs is so unpredictable that it's hard to even figure out what the reaction is from. Did this happen in what you learned and discovered? Did it, you know, did it happen where, you know, things got worse as time went on and treatments were applied? Yes, and... And the in unpredictability of what would work with a certain patient, they couldn't come up with a, 
an all over plan because everybody reacts differently. So they didn't really know. And the drug, the drugs that became available in the 50s were not available earlier. And of course, the problem also was is that they didn't really believe that uh, talking about the situation would help. And now we know that the more families talk, patients talk, we learn from each other. We establish bonds with each other. Suddenly, things are not taboo, but we become one and the same working on various mental health issues. So that talk therapy was not even an option back then. So now when we have more to our, our credit, um, more talk, um, more community involvement, but we need much more, uh, it, it does alleviate the situation. But we still have a, a horrible growing problem in this nation. And I think there still is a lot of silence and we must make people feel that it is good to, to discuss their feelings and to discuss the reactions. Yeah, um, we're going to take a short break and we come back uh, more about the missing Kennedy, Rosemary Kennedy, fabulous book, Elizabeth Kohler Pentecost put together. And by the way, when we come back, we're going to let you know how you can find out more about Elizabeth, how you can find out more about how you can get your copy of the book. When we come back, we're going to explore what was what was the toughest toughest aspect of writing this memoir for Elizabeth? You know, what is going to be with her forever? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. in to Sheer Alchemy with Leslie Fontaine on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get ready to stir up your passions, identify your blocks, and shift into an entirely new existence. Leslie Fontaine is a transformation catalyst and clairvoyant who uses her intuitive and energetic gifts to catapult listeners into living the life they were born to live. Whether it's shifting from scarcity to abundance, from emotional pain into joy, or from illness into health. Leslie will help you step into the true essence and power of all that you are with the help of the Ascended Masters and Archangels. You will not be the same. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for show dates and times and LeslieFontaine.com to say yes to explosive abundance. Naturopathic doctor, founder of the Martha's Vineyard Holistic Retreat, and author of the New York Times bestseller, 21 Pounds in 21 Days, Dr. Ronnie Deleuze has helped tens of thousands of people, including celebrities and athletes, with her message of lifestyle change. Now, Dr. Ronnie Deleuze wants to help you. You, too, can be saved. Email Dr. Ronnie Deleuze at info at ronniedeleuzeonradio.com and visit mvholisticretreat.com. Dr. Ronnie Deleuze, your partner in wellness. Call the Oprah of Radio by her listeners. Award-winning host Dr. Pat Basile is blowing the doors off of traditional talk radio. Get ready for an energizing delivery and powerful interviews with leaders in the field of human potential. Dr. Pat's fresh new perspective on living life full out has catapulted her show to the top of talk radio. Tune in and Dr. Pat will help you thrive instead of merely survive. Visit the drpatshow.com. That's T-H-E-D-R-Pat-Show.com for listening times in your area. 
What would you say if I told you that you could change your life in only one hour and all while lying down relaxing? Thousands of people all over the world have. What am I talking about? It's called Access Consciousness The Bars. The Bars is an energetic body process that contains 32 different points on your head that when run assist you in releasing decisions about any area of your life that you have made solid and as a result cannot change. The BARS is the first class in Access Consciousness, a dynamic set of tools and information designed to transform any area of your life. When you have a BARS session, the worst that can happen is you feel like you had a fantastic massage. The best thing that can happen is your whole life could change. Go to accessconsciousness.com today to find a facilitator to schedule a private session or to find a BARS class in your area. Are you willing to give yourself an hour to change your life? everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Thank you for tuning us in. Transformation Talk Radio. Uh, thank you all for um, all of the kind words, the emails that you send us. Thank you so much for that. Uh, today's conversation is a very, very important one. It's relevant uh, even in today's time. You know, we might be going back in time to talk about Rosemary Kennedy, the missing Kennedy. We might be going back in time. But when you think about this, you know, uh, fast forward to where we are today, then how do we, how do we look at things in our world that we believe are injustices, you know, that stem from ignorance, um, the struggle, you know, the legacy, and what Elizabeth has been able to capture is a landmark for where we are today to remind us that, you know, we just cannot brush things under the carpet. You know, there is a journey that we get to take. And part of that journey is facing tough situations around mental illness, around learning, you know, being learning challenged, emotional, what people call emotional disabilities, which are really inconsistencies because some people are a bit different than we are. But what does all of this mean when we fast forward to today and fast forward to the lessons from here. Elizabeth, thank you so much for today. You know, what I, I asked before the break, what was the toughest thing that you bumped into in writing this, in the discovery of this story? What was the toughest for you? The toughest thing was discovering that I still had not completed my own personal journey. I had buried a lot of my own past, not only dealing with Rosemary's tragedy, but with tragedies that happened in my own family. And so as I started researching and writing, I was overcome with emotion and I was would be typing away and my husband might walk by and say, oh my God, what's wrong? And tears would be cascading down my face. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even aware that I was just sobbing and sobbing while I was writing. Part of it was I was reliving what it was like for Rosemary to grow up uh, with her disabilities. Then when I started researching my own family life, I had to confront something that I had never even considered writing in the book. 
It was so deeply buried. And that was the mental illness of my mother's sister and my mother's brother. Um, my mother's sister, we had no idea what was going on. She started reacting uh, in, in, an, in a very strange way when her, she discovered that her husband um, was not all that he seemed to be and he began abusing her physically. So she had to run and leave a, a, a fairly wealthy um, situation, uh, financially anyways, and take her children and move out into a dingy apartment where she just truly broke down. And we did not understand what was wrong with her. I know that I asked my mother at the time, I was only nine or 10 and I actually I was younger than that, I was uh, seven. And I said, mom, what's, what's happening? What's wrong? And she said, I don't know, but she said, there's something wrong in Aunt Zora's head. And mm -hmm. so we knew she was sick, but we didn't know what was happening. And it was devastating for our family. Um, my aunt's um, decisions and her lack of control, as well as her unfortunate manipulations, just broke our family apart. And fortunately, my mother, father, and I were, were strong emotionally to handle it. But everybody almost went financially broke trying to help her. Um, so all of this was very hidden, and I was never allowed to say my aunt's name. Mm -hmm. So in the other side of the family, my dad's very Catholic family, we never spoke of her. And years later, when I started writing the book, I was talking to um, my, my dad's um, um, niece, my cousin Mary, and I said something, well, I'm writing about my Aunt Zora. And she looked at me and frowned and said, I have never heard that name. Who is that? Wow. And I said, oh my gosh. I hadn't realized that even today, you know, in 2010, mm -hmm. that still things were so deeply buried. My aunt, another aunt from my father's side asked me, um, it was in the early 2000s, she said, well, I saw the obituary of your Uncle Nick. How did he die? And I had a pause and I said, he had cancer. Well, that was true, he had cancer, but that wasn't how he died. He died with a gun in his hand. But you see, I had been trained all my life never to tell the truth, always to hide behind silence that of course, I, I, just, I just kept up with the charade. And you know, all that, that hidden, uh, all that silence, all the lies, it really is, is devastating on a soul, on a person, and it, and it causes much harm. So I found that releasing this, the words, not of negativity, but of love and passion for everybody involved was such a healing for me. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that I shared with you during the break was that I did not know about my own mother's journey until my dad passed away. And my dad had kept some letters my mom had wrote after her first suicide attempt. And then shortly thereafter, um, my stepmom kept them and passed them on to me when she found them. 
And I was forever grateful for that and went on a journey to find out the details of it. What would you say to folks out there now listening to the show that may have people in their families that other folks just don't talk about? It's not like, oh, well, you know, aunt so-and-so is just a little bit odd. You, you rarely hear her word. Would you invite them on an exploratory journey? And if so, how might they go about that? I would absolutely invite them to explore. First of all, they might explore within themselves through uh, artwork, through writing their, their own stories. And I'm not saying that they have to publish all of this stuff. This is a very, there's this, this can be a quiet journey. And I would recommend talking with trusted family members first. And just, I know that not everybody feels this way, but mm-hmm. calling in your higher power. I, I'm still Catholic and I still believe in angels. So whenever I have to have a difficult discussion or one that might uh, make someone um, uneasy or maybe strike out, I call in my angels and I ask to be protected. And suddenly when you feel spiritually uh, helped, you can uh, embrace love and kindness. And everything that you can say, if it is met with something negative, push back with love. Only love and acceptance and know that the other people around you might be going through a frightful journey themselves. And through this talk of love, I believe we can forge bonds. For instance, with my own mother, um, she had to send my Aunt Zora away one evening um, when Aunt Zora was clearly uh, not herself would not have been safe for our family emotionally and she had to pay a taxi driver to take her away from our house and I remember at the time I was very young I went in my room and sobbed well later my mother had a, the only conversation we had um, this would have been in, in the late 90s before my mother passed and we were talking on the phone about Aunt Zora and I said mom I said, I was so, um, oh, oh, my mother said, oh, Elizabeth, I was, I'm so sorry I had to do that. And she broke down. She says, I know you, you know, you didn't think much of me at the time, but we had to protect our family, our, our nuclear family as well. And she was started, you know, and I said, mother, I said, I was crying because I said, I was so uh, torn as well, but you were brave to have taken the stand that she had to take, which was very difficult for her, I said, and I think that you were a very brave mother. And she started to cry, which my mother was not someone who um, showed emotion uh, very easily. And she said, oh, Elizabeth, I thought you hated me for that decision. And here all along, I was respecting her more than ever so that just those few words it was such an incredible release and bond for us that we forged even a more close relationship than ever and i can only say i wish that we knew we should have talked more early on wow how do we go how do we go we're going to take a short break uh how do we go from this you know gorgeous vivacious rosie in her early 20s 
how do we go from that to becoming a candidate for a lobotomy? And what is it about that decision that will ring true and probably, you know, be in the forefront of everyone's minds, you know, as we move forward in life? How does one go from that? And what can we learn and be absolutely mindful about in our lives as we help other family members left and right who may be a bit different? Let's take a short break, everyone. You know, how do we go from that? And what has Elizabeth learned about the journey, the decisions, and the aftermath of that for Rosemary Kennedy, the missing Kennedy. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. For more information about us, go ahead and go to the drpatshow.com or go to transformationtalkradio.com. You can follow us on Facebook, the Dr. Pat Show, Twitter, the Dr. Pat Show. When we come back, vivacious, gorgeous, to being a candidate for a lobotomy. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Tired of traditional talk? People pontificating about this or that, the left or the right. Sometimes the truth is just all lost in the noise. Tune in each week to Straight Talk with Chuck Gallagher on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, as nationally known guests talk about what's important to you, your life, your concerns, and your success. Tune in and turn on to Straight Talk with Chuck Gallagher. Visit ChuckGallagher.com for more information. Can you keep your lifestyle in retirement? It's a question people often wonder about. Ask Ameriprise Financial Advisor Jeff Packman about the new Confident Retirement Approach. You and Jeff can break down retirement planning step-by-step to get the real answers you need. In fact, 93% of clients who have had the Confident Retirement Approach conversation feel more confident about their retirement. Call Jeff Packman, Financial Advisor, at 425-453-0272 for your Confident Retirement conversation today. Office is located at 601 108th Avenue Northeast, Suite 1800, Bellevue, Washington, 98004. Percentage based on Ameriprise Financial Confident Retirement Client Survey as of December 2013. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment and advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated, member of FINRA and SIPC. Do you want more sales, stronger relationships, a better work-life balance? If you answered yes, then you don't want to miss out on this one-of-a-kind event that will impact your life forever. Finish 2015 strong and make 2016 your best year in business ever. Connie Five, host of Masters Chambers, is sending you a special invitation to the Sales and Leadership Summit. November 4th in Newport Beach, California. Join Connie and sales expert Todd Novak to recharge, motivate, and focus. Don't miss your chance to get in on this one-of-a-kind event and skyrocket your business for 2016. Wednesday, November 4th at the Island Hotel in Newport Beach, California. Lunch, parking, takeaway tools and workbooks included. Visit slsevent.com. That's slsevent.com to learn more and register your spot at the Sales and Leadership Summit today.
Wow, everyone, welcome back. I'm so Elizabeth. Before we, uh, you know, the, you know, go back to the conversation about what that decision was back back then. You know how how Rosie went from vivacious and gorgeous uh, to uh, something else. Let's just say. Uh, let folks know again the best way to find out more about you and how they can get a copy of the book. They can type missingkennedy.com and discover uh, where to get the book there. They can also learn about me at lizbooks.com. I give writing advice to writers of all ages on my blog. And you can find the book probably anywhere you find a bookstore. You can ask if they can order it if they don't have it in. Um, and all the online sources uh, are also uh, stocking the book. Thank, thank you. you. And I can't thank you enough for writing this. So my question really was this place from this, you know, I mean, the pictures, when I look at the pictures that you've included in here, and boy, I have to tell you, Elizabeth, my gosh, how wonderful that you have so many pictures that you included in here. But when I look at these pictures of Rosie, Rosemary Kennedy, and, and what she was like and her energy, you know, she would be the kind of person that I would meet and I would just gravitate towards. But that was not the case. After that fatal decision or near fatal decision in 1941, can you just shed a little light on that? You know, what was that scenario like? Because today when we, we think about lobotomy, people would be like, no, we know that doesn't work. But back then, not so much. Yes. Well, the lobotomy was touted as the best thing for anyone with a mental illness, with epilepsy, uh, again, for with a lot of different um, diagnoses. And so the doctor who was one of them who operated on Rosemary, uh, along with his neurosurgeon partner, uh, was Dr. Walter Freeman. And Dr. Freeman was a neurologist who also taught at the uh, George Washington University and he was known as a PR maven. So he and his um, force uh, ma basically made the lobotomy well known in the United States. Reader's Digest, Saturday Evening Post, Time, Newsweek, all of them had glowing reports about the, uh, the lobotomy and how it could calm down anyone with a, an emotional problem. And so when the headline screamed, no worse than removing a tooth, obviously people would, would take this in and think it was right. At the time also, and still sometimes now, we have the unwritten code between doctors where they don't criticize each other. So although there were glaring errors in the articles and Dr. Freeman forgot his failures while enhanced his success, uh, nobody said anything. So when Joseph was looking for the best treatment available, he of course went to what he thought was the best at the time, Dr. Walter Freeman and his um, surgeon. Uh, so Rosemary received the lobotomy in 1941, and as we all know, it had disastrous effects upon her. She no longer could communicate, she couldn't walk, she was in a diaper, um, she lost all of her basic skills. Uh, the doctors told uh, Joe at the time to institutionalize her, 
And again, not to visit her because it would be too emotionally um, uh, horrible for the patient and for the family. So the first place Joe put her in was a place called Craig House Sanitarium in New York. Uh, this was the place where at one time Zelda Fitzgerald stayed in 1934 and later um, Jane Fonda's mother would commit, commit suicide there. So Rosemary was there from 1941 to 49. She received no family visits. She did relearn how to walk and sort of communicate. She had some language skills, some she did not. And she was a very strong woman because she was about 5'8", and then became heavy with her disability. And so she required two attendants with her at all time because of her violence. And then suddenly they discovered that Rosemary had been sexually abused at this place. Mm -hmm. So Joseph was of course devastated and he called upon his friend, Cardinal Cushing, who recommended St. Coletta, uh, the place, the home for the um, mentally challenged in Wisconsin. And they were, it was run by a group of Franciscan nuns, which of course included my aunt. So my aunt said at first, Rosemary was very difficult to control. Uh, you can imagine that not only was she uh, emotionally wrought because of her um, situation, the lobotomy, but also Joseph had told them to hide her away mm -hmm. and not to let her out in society. So uh, she was hidden away, the family never knew, and it wasn't until Joseph's stroke in the end of 1961, which ironically made him uh, unable to communicate and put him in a wheelchair, when nuns could not contact Joe anymore, they contacted Rose, Mrs. Kennedy, and this is when she learned the truth about her daughter. Right, right. because Joe did not tell her no, not at all. So that's that's a piece that is so devastating. You know, he kept that a secret. Right. Uh, didn't didn't say it was. You know, didn't didn't say that they were going to go ahead and have that done. Right. And so huge, enormous secrets. And right after that, Rose's reaction. Um, I'm sure he had to have been extremely uh, guilty and and overcome. Rose was just horrified. And so were the family members. And Rose told the nuns, oh my gosh, socialize her. Take her to restaurants, take her to the theater, take her to church, um, you know, teach her everything she needs to do, be to be a regular person. And so Sister Paulus was able to um, enlarge her life. And Rosemary reacted emotionally in a very positive manner. I also saw my aunt uh, treat Rosie with respect and love and never a crossword. If Rosemary would suddenly stomp her feet and say, no, you know, she'd yell, no, she'd say, um, no, do that. Or, you know, something like that. Rose, uh, Mrs. I'm sorry, my aunt would hold her hand and say, oh, Rosie, I know you are such a good person that mm -hmm. you can follow me to the restroom and you can go on, on your own or, yes, Rosie, let's take a walk. We'll turn off the TV together. And suddenly Rosie was doing exactly what my aunt wanted. And that, too, 
you know, mm. she was able to visit us and she began visiting her own family. Wow. wow. Elizabeth, what, a, I mean, and for those of you listening, there is so much in the book. You know, I know we have a few minutes left, to, and, but I wanted to ask you the message that this book brings forth. What is I the think, message in the contemporary times we live in today? Well, I think the message is that I learned from my aunt, always act in a positive, loving manner and you will get results. And also ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Yes, the Kennedys did an extraordinary, wonderful uh, uh, things for um, anyone who was disabled. Eunice, Rosemary's sister, started Special Olympics. Uh, Jack, our president, and um, the senators, Robert and Ted, did much legislation to bring mental illness and the mentally challenged uh, to have equality everywhere. But we too, we ordinary people, through small acts of kindness and love, we can make a huge difference through small actions in someone's life. So we can volunteer, we can send someone a note, we can create love for everybody, no matter what their differences may be. I want to thank you for your act of courage and, you know, not just um, writing the book, but for showing compassion, for showing the wherewithal to bring a story to light that is so seriously important in the world today. Thank you so much. Again, how can people find out more about you? Through missingkennedy.com or lizbooks.com. Wow, thank you so much. The Missing Kennedy is the name of the book for those of you out there. It is a telling, telling story insightful, passionate, caring, and most of all, loving. Thank you all for tuning us in and turning us on. We'll see you next time. <music>